Less general, right? Yeah, I'm like, you know, lots of it's, it's U.S. mainstream, it's not. <laughs> Norman Walk Wallace. <laughs> You're listening to Peach Tree Corners Live, live with Rico and Rita, the weekly internet radio show yeah, keeping you current on the interests in the of the people of so politics like, in the city <laughs> of Peach Tree Corners. Hey everyone, you're uh, here with me, Rico Figliolini, host of Peachtree Corners Life. We are doing a Facebook Live tonight, and you can also watch the Facebook Live anytime that we go live. If you like our page on uh, Facebook, just go search for Peachtree Corners Life, and uh, you'll get notified when we do these live, which isn't just Thursday night at 8.30, but it's also on a Thursday at noon when we're doing other types of shows. So one of the other shows is the Ed Hour, and the other one is Prime Lunchtime with the City Manager. But tonight, we have another tonight. political guest, a candidate for Gwinnett Superior Court Judge, Wesley Person. Oh, Thanks, thank Wesley. You. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you coming. Yeah, I appreciate you coming out. Thank you. Um, we, you know, we've been doing these uh, candidate interviews, one-hour interviews over the last uh, couple of months now for a variety of people. And, um, you know, and I've, even with court judge candidates, although you can't specifically talk about issues, specific issues, it's an interesting conversation just to find out about who you are, you know, how you see things, your philosophy, and, um, you know, where, where you've come from. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, you know, where... Um, yeah. Where, where you were born, raised, and how you where, show, came to Gwinnett Campus? Well, I was uh, born and raised in Norfolk, Virginia, um, mm-hmm. in a section of Norfolk called Berkeley. Um, I was uh, raised by my dad, um, Willie Person. He had a nickname around the neighborhood um, called Powerhouse. So whenever people saw me walking around the neighborhood, they would say, hey, little Powerhouse. So I, I, he never explained to me the origin of the name. I never really got a clear understanding, but I just knew I was a little powerhouse. Um, okay. I went to school at, um, I was educated at Lake Taylor High School, graduated in 1982, okay. um, and wound up, uh, took me a while to get my undergraduate degree. Um, I wound up graduating uh, from Wayne State University in 2000, and then I Went down to Macon at Mercer Law School, and I graduated from the Walter F. George School of Law in 2003 um, and um, started my legal career as a prosecutor in the Griffin Judicial Circuit. And that circuit consists of four counties, um, because when you get outside of Atlanta, the large metro areas, Mm -hmm. uh, the judicial circuits become multiple counties just to make up the numbers and it's more cost effective. Sure. Um, so I was in the Griffin Judicial Circuit and that consists of Pike County, um, Upson County, Spalding County, and Fayette County. Um, and I was there for about two and a half years, um, worked with a DA named William T. McBroom. Um, and when he uh, he uh, lost for re-election to a gentleman named Scott Ballard, I went out in a private practice and I've been in private practice um, since about 2005, uh, moved here in Gwinnett County in around 2008, and I've been here in Gwinnett County practicing um, criminal defense, family law, 
pretty much anything. I'm a general, what they call a general practitioner, whatever walks in the door, um, Mm -hmm. I will represent them. So, yes. Uh, Yeah. Some things I won't, but yeah, (laughs) pretty much the the theory is if they have the money, you're represented. But some cases I just go, "Uh, that's not me. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Um, So you've come to um, be able to want to run for Gwinnett County Superior Court judge. Yes. And, um, so, you know, I think this is, uh, whose seat was this? This was originally... Judge Deborah Turner. Deborah Division Turner. 2. Yes. Right. And there are two candidates running, so just to be fair. Just, yes. Um, so one of them is uh, B.T. Parker, and then the other one's Tracy Kaysen, who we had on a few weeks ago. Yes. And yourself. And myself. Right. So, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, where you see your philosophy as a prosecutor. Um well, we were talking a little bit about yeah, it before, yeah. so give me a, a better idea of what you Well, um, you know, my idea, I remember when I um, first passed the bar and I went to get sworn in at Georgia Supreme Court, I met uh, Chief Justice Fletcher and he swore me in and he looked at me and he said, son, um, you're going to be a prosecutor. Uh, don't let the Court of Appeals be your eraser. And what I took that from him to mean is... Um, that you have a bigger responsibility as a prosecutor. Um, your job is to do justice. Your job is not to win, but to do justice. And whatever that justice is, that's what you're supposed to do in a case. Um, and you shouldn't push the envelope um, just because you can, mm-hmm. uh, because that will result in um, injustice and you would be reversed. Um, so I always took that um, very um, seriously as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney. Um, one of the things I want to make sure that I do is that I do right uh, by the system because um, being a lawyer uh, is a uh, it's a privilege and it's a, it's a privilege that I uh, take seriously um, and I take being able to practice in the court um, serious. So I try to um, govern myself in an ethical um, fashion. You know, I would think a, a little bit, it's almost like being a doctor in a way, right? Because a doctor has to life and death situations sometimes. And uh, being an attorney, you're making choices that, in a way, will affect someone's life that way. Huge. Right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, the three original professions, uh, medicine, religion, and law, all have that very weighty um, sort of, uh, you know, you have to be... You have to walk a certain way um, and you have to walk honorably uh, because you're dealing with issues with religion. You're dealing with issues of morality and issues of uh, people's faith. Medicine, you're dealing with health of people, um, their you know survival. And in law, you're dealing with uh, huge issues. Um, most people just think of you know criminal law and death penalty cases. But even in some of the smaller cases, you're affecting uh, lives. You're, um, the way you perform your job affects people's lives. If uh, you don't do your job properly, um, you can have a kid that has a shoplifting. Mm-hmm. And you just think, oh, well, it's just a shoplifting. You mess up. Well, that gets a kid in the system. And now mm-hmm. they're in the system. And say, for instance, they just get probation. But they're, you know, get in a car with a friend. And that friend has something they shouldn't have. And now that kid that just had probation that probably shouldn't have been in the system Mm -hmm. if you would have done your job properly, now that kid is going to prison because he violated his probation. 
And now that kid is in prison. And let's say you have a kid that grew up in um, a decent neighborhood like Peachtree Corners. Mm -hmm. And now that kid is in prison and dealing with all of the things that are associated with prison. And they come out, they're changed. They're not the same person Mm -hmm. that they were when they went in. I would think not. Right. So that's how I look at every case. I look at every case as, you know, this is somebody's life, no matter what the charge is. And I want to do my job um, to the point that I've done everything I can to make sure um, that I'm representing this person in a positive manner. You know, we talked about this before a little bit, that um, being an attorney in a court of law is not like L.A. law, right? No, no. <laughs> it's not like that. that. So people, no. I think, you know, they look at that CSI and all that. And why can't you just do it this way? You know, you got DNA and stuff. But... It's a lot more involved than that, prosecuting case or even defending the case because yeah. maybe you don't have the same staff that a prosecutor might have, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't. Staff. And part of my practice um, is representing indigent people. I represent a lot of people who can't afford a lawyer, um, and I'm appointed by Superior Court judges to represent them. Um, and a lot of times you're, you know, you're really um, starting behind the eight ball because mm-hmm. you have a client a lot of times they don't have a lot of education mm-hmm. um, they can't help you with the case um, they mm-hmm. have a they don't have a support system um, so you have to really sort of be in a lot of ways like a family member to them you gotta yeah. you know talk to them and, and 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 try to get to know them and then you have to go about you know, um, getting ready for the case, reviewing the yeah. files, trying to find witnesses. Um, you know, you have sometimes to do some you, of the detective work. Yourself, oh, you have to, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times I've been seven, eight, nine o'clock at night hmm. going, knocking on doors, trying to find witnesses. There are a lot of times on Saturdays and Sundays I'm out there, you know, trying to find witnesses, trying to talk to people, um, you know, trying to um, find leads for, uh, my clients trying to talk to witnesses for the state, um, so you know you're 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 involved. You're you're really mm-hmm. um, trying to do everything you can for the client. But the thing about it is, I wouldn't change it. I mean, because because I love my work. I love being a lawyer, um, both as a prosecutor when I had an opportunity to be a prosecutor. Um, just you know, talking with people um, who've been you know, victims of crime mm-hmm. and walking them through the process. Um, my One of my first cases I had as a prosecutor uh, was a um, a child case, a child dealt with child sexual abuse. Okay. Um, and the victim in the case was eight-year-old. And at time of all the abuse, she was six. Um, and it was tough. I because I had just gotten my bar card and I had just become a lawyer and I had all this spit and fire. I'm going to be this, you know, this great lawyer, litigator. You know, you see the things on TV. Yeah. Yeah. And I sat and I talked to this little girl and it just crushed me. I mean, the things she went through. And it was like, how do I protect her? You know, and it was thinking in terms of. And could you protect her? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, how do I. How do I protect the rest of her future? Hmm. Because her past was so bad. But how do I protect her going forward? And one of the things, um, we, we had a great victim witness advocate. Um, we sat and talked. 
And we were, you know, we really had to think about what was the best outcome for her. Was a trial the best outcome for her? Her having to relive that in front of 12 strangers. Um, you know, and, and we, 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 we agonized over it and we talked about it and we talked with her, her grandparents because her grandparents got custody of her and we talked with her and we could kind of tell she was super brave, great, great kid, super brave. But, you know, you got to tell she really didn't want to get on that stand. She really didn't want to have to get up there and relive it. Sure. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she was, and her grandparents had done such a great job in terms of kind of getting her past that. She went to therapy and you could see the light back in her eyes. Mm-hmm. You could see the imagination come back to her. You could see she was getting, she was getting some of that innocence back. Mm-hmm. Not all of it mm-hmm. because of what she went through, mm-hmm. but she was getting it back. And it was like, do you put her through a trial and risk losing that? Well, that's the problem, right? Right. And yeah. that's what we, and you you know, victimize them again. Right. Yeah. So we, we were able to work out, um, a resolution without her having to go to trial and her grandparents were on board with it and she was happy with it and we put the guy away for a good long time Um, but it prevented her from um, having to go through that yeah that's a tough thing you know as a prosecutor like you said like we were discussing earlier Mm -hmm. you have so much power to be able to decide how to prosecute the weight of the prosecution how are you going to you know do you move forward on Murder, manslaughter, or whatever. Yeah, um, that's a lot of power to be able to have a, as a prosecutor to a degree, right? It is, and one of the things, like I'm a criminal defense attorney, and I and when I I talk to young prosecutors, I mean, I don't I don't have this adversarial role where I'm like I would never talk to a prosecutor or I hate all prosecutors. And right. you, you have some defense attorneys that take take it to that extreme. That's not me. Um, but when you know I've been practicing for 15 years, and when I meet a new prosecutor, I say, Hey, look, you know, you got to remember. Your job is to do justice, not to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever justice is, that's what you have to do. Um, because the power of a prosecutor is huge. I yeah. mean, they can charge up or they can charge down. Um, they can um, give a recommendation where, you know, the person takes accountability, but they don't get everything that they could get uh, if they go to trial. So, um the job of a prosecutor is huge, um, and they, they have a lot of uh, responsibilities. Um, and I think one of the reasons why um, I wanted to run for judge is because um, I want to be a judge that, you know, make sure that everybody's treated fairly, that everybody's getting a, a fair shake, and um, that the evidence is being weighed properly. Um, and people are, you know, getting their day in court. Now, how did you, how did you feel about, um, you know, you're prosecuting, you're, you're in Gwinnett County, you're dealing with, currently you're a defense attorney. Yes, I'm, I'm, yeah. So you're dealing with the court system to begin with now. Yes. Not, not to, you know, say good or bad about the court system the way Gwinnett County is right now, but if you were to be a judge, a judge isn't just sitting on that court. Mm-hmm. Right, judges more can be doing other things. Judge does some administrative stuff. Yeah. They direct certain things. What what do you see a judge, a Gwinnett Superior Court judge, with Wesley Person there? What do you see that as? Well, I think um, you will see a courtroom that will allow lawyers to try their cases. Um, one of the things that 
kind of, and this is not um, anything that happened in Gwinnett County, but one of the things I've practiced all over in a lot of different counties is when a judge inserts themselves into the court, into the trial. Um, they, you know, will um, cut lawyers off from arguments that are proper. Um, they will try to rush lawyers along, um, you know, because they want to get a case um, litigated in a certain amount of time. Um, I want to, number one, have a litigator-friendly courtroom where people get to make their arguments as long as their arguments are sound and based on the law. Um, I also want to, a lot of times, you know, we, um, especially when you are in private practice, you have a lot of courts that you have to be at. If you have a decent enough practice, you don't know where you're going to be at on a Monday. Mm -hmm. You could be in Fulton County, you could be in DeKalb County, you could be in Clayton County and and have to be at every one of them all at once. Um, What I would like to do is manage the trial docket so lawyers can make, they don't have to come in and make their announcements. They could do it via um, email, Mm -hmm. uh, electronically, so they can say, Judge, we're ready. Um, FaceTime. Exactly, (laughs) FaceTime. uh, Doing things to integrate technology. Um, into the uh, courtroom. Um, that would make sense. You would maximize the way you're using the system at that point. Exactly, especially yeah. in, in, in where I find people more frustrated. It's not in the criminal area, but family law. Um, mm-hmm. Because a lot of times you have a family um, court motion hit day and you have 15 parties up there um, mm-hmm. and they're all sitting there waiting for their turn. And a lot of time, and in family law cases, these are retained ter- attorneys. There's no public of defender system right. for family law. Right. You got to hire your own lawyer, or you go in there without a lawyer, or you may be able to get some form of legal aid. Um, but if you can't afford a lawyer, you go in there and represent yourself. Okay. Um, so a lot of times, people are paying their attorneys three and four hundred dollars an hour just to sit there, waiting for their case to be called. We are, it is. So what I've, and I've talked to family court lawyers and, uh, or family lawyers, and I said, hey, what if we had a system where you can video conference in and your client can video a FaceTime conference in mm-hmm. and we can have the court reporter in my office taking this down, mm-hmm. but you're at your office, your client is at home or, mm-hmm. or at work, wherever they need to be. They take an hour out of their day to come in and we do these teleconferencing And we get that issue resolved. If it's an issue of custody or visitation or whatever is not going on, we can have testimony. That testimony can be recorded. Mm -hmm. Um, We can have the lawyers make their presentation. We can have the witnesses make their testimony. And then a ruling could be made without people having to travel from their jobs or, you know, getting child care for their Mm -hmm. kids to come to the court to sit. And these things can be scheduled at a time that is appropriate and um, it could be even scheduled. I mean, I'm game for doing it in the evenings if the lawyers mm-hmm. are agreeable to it because I work. I mean, I'm a, I, you know, I'm a small business guy. If I don't, right. if I don't bring it in, I can't eat it. So <laughs> I have to be working, right. you know, past five o'clock. Uh, so now, see, if you were in New York, the unions would stop you from doing that. Well, I mean, <laughs> and, and yeah, I, they probably would. But I mean, you know, if it's yeah. something that and, and, and it's clearly voluntary, it's not yeah, something yeah, I'm yeah. going to go. You have to do that. No, no, but course. if the lawyers are like, hey, judge, we can do that yeah. teleconferencing yeah. at six o'clock. And if, you know, they paid a court reporter mm-hmm. for his or her time mm-hmm. and 
Um, I'm sitting in the chambers. There's no need for deputies. There's no need for anybody other than me and that court reporter and a computer screen. And we take the testimony and we get it done. Let me ask you something in the because I'm maybe I'm uh, I'm a little ignorant about this part. Maybe so we'll educate the public a little. bit. Okay. the these types of cases, they're in the court system. Mm hmm. The public, right? Right. Anyone can walk in and Anyone just listen, can walk in. Yes. listen and be done. Um, taking it in a different level with now taking it on a teleconference basis sort mm-hmm. of takes it out of the public realm, you would think. But that video and that stuff could be available even online for anyone that chooses to know, want to know what went on with a certain case. And you make a good point. I, I mean, mean and that, right? I know the courts have to be open. It's whether or not in this particular or if it's a hearing on a sensitive matter, right. sometimes you can close the courtroom. And that's um, different, right? That's different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talk, I'm not talking about criminal cases. I'm talking about family law cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here again, it may be something that I can't do. But it's something I'm thinking about and it's saying, why can't we do that? And to be I, able to alleviate... This backlog. And I like that. I yeah. like the forward thinking of that. Right. Because there are plenty of software out there. Now the businesses use for teleconference. Exactly. For scheduling. There's no reason why a court system, they just, wasn't it $75 million to expand the court? Yes. At the beginning of the year? Yes. I just saw that article. $75 yes. million to expand the court system in Gwinnett County. And you would think that that's fine. That's buildings and stuff. We need the... You know, we're a growing county. We need that that room, that's flexibility. But to be able to then to digitize some of that, to be able to do some of that would make would help them alleviate so much that they don't even need more expansion. Like exactly. That. And if you can get these, my these, I don't want to say minor issues, but if you can get these hearings and where the parties are having disputes over what time the child has to be back or right. something like that. Then you have time to deal with the big cases. You have time to deal with the divorces where they're contested and we're dealing with property issues and things like that. Mm -hmm. Be able to get them moved quicker so you can get some resolution. Mm -hmm. Um, The same with criminal cases. Um, You know, there's no reason why, and and this is me thinking, and somebody may say, well, you can't do this, Wes. And if you can't, then you can't. But, Mm -hmm. you know, have, if the parties are agreeable, have Saturday courts at the jail where you have people in custody and have these hearings where the jail is open, have these hearings in the holding rooms in the jail where you can get motion to suppress, uh, motion to suppress statements. Um, a lot of those things dealt with um, on a weekend or something like that where yeah. attorneys who have, look, people will be surprised. There are very few attorneys that are actually trying cases. And usually they're trying cases at a lot of different places. So it's hard to get them... Um, pegged in, especially with your drug cases, because you have um, certain lawyers that that's their expertise. These large wiretap cases where you have a terabyte worth of evidence because you have about, you know, you have all these phone conversations, you have all this and you have to have these motions with multiple defendants. And a lot of times it's hard to schedule those. And I've talked to some of my colleagues and I was like, look, you know, would you be you know, would you be opposed to doing a Saturday? And they were like, no, that would be great. You know, I'm in the office anyway on a Saturday. <laughs> so it would just be, you know, getting that worked out with, you know, the DA's office may go, no, we don't want to do it. And then, right. you know, you can't do it. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, the whole idea of trying to do something new, to try to innovate, to try to pull this system into 2018 mm-hmm. um, so that we can use technology to alleviate a lot of the backlog. My thing is, I think a lot of things don't get done because people just don't want to take the effort to do it because we're comfortable in this. Yeah, I don't want to be comfortable in it. I want to be able to try to do things differently to bring technology in as much as possible so that we can have an efficient, effective court system where we don't have cases. Literally, we have some cases that are, you know, five years old. And there's really no reason, right? Well, a lot of it is a lot of it is scheduling. A lot of it is we don't have the court space. Um, But a lot some of it is because we don't try to do things to try to fix certain things to make that scheduling possible. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the judges that I look to as a great example, and I got it, I'm going to say this on the record, when he first came about and he tried to do it, Mm -hmm. I was resistant. I was like, oh man, this is no, this is not how we do it. You know, because that's how we we do it. Right. As human beings, we (laughs) get into a certain thing and we want to always keep it that way. We're resistant to change. That's just how we are. Um, But, you know, Judge Rich, he came in and he did a lot of arraignments uh, via um, tele-arrangements where the defendant, if they were in custody, they stayed in the jail and they did their arrangement via video phone and they weren't transported over. And he did calendar calls where attorneys would just email their announcements and he would do motions that way too. And we we were just, I was like, oh, this is just crazy. This is, what is he doing? He's messing up the system. This is not what I'm used to. Right. But what I saw is his caseload started getting smaller. He was reducing his caseloads. Cases were getting moved. You know, we weren't, you know, a, you know, uh, spending money on transporting inmates from the jail to the courthouse just for an attorney to say, not ready or ready. Efficiencies. Exactly. Right. And, 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 and that's the thing that I think, you know, I, we, we could do more of. And... You know, most people don't understand that judges can do that, right? I mean, you're 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 in charge of the court system essentially. There's no one above you like that. You're running the system essentially. Correct. You have you manage your courtroom, right? And I think um, I think that's an excellent way uh, to manage your courtroom. I, I look at how Judge Rich does it and is efficient. It saves the taxpayers money mm-hmm. uh, because you don't have to transport them. You know, transporting inmates over is a very sensitive thing. You know, you got to have a lot of security, a lot of manpower, and then transporting them back up. Right. And then having the deputies in the courtroom, having the deputies having to um, manage the inmates in the holding cell, mm-hmm. that's a lot of money. And multiply that, um, you know, twice a month times 12 months so, yeah. that 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 comes up to the real money as yeah, people yeah. used to say real money yeah, yeah. so <laughs> that's true that's the type of thing and even you know with the idea of you know handling certain family court matters in a certain mm-hmm. way that's money that a person doesn't have to pay their lawyer you know they pay them $300 for the hour they don't have to pay them 300 times five hours for right. them sitting in the courtroom right. And a, and a lot of times, you know, and then they don't get a chance to get hurt because, you know, parties will. I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom, but what the judge will do, he'll 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 call the calendar of the cases there, and he'll say, Mister and Mrs. Smith, uh-huh. Smith versus Smith, right. Council A, how long do you think it'll take to hear this? And that council say thirty minutes. Council B, how long? Yeah, judge, I think it'll take thirty minutes. 
Okay, you're first. Well, Smith and Smith gets up there. All of a sudden, bam, what was going to take 30 minutes is now an hour and a half. Now you're pushed back an hour, and you're trying to make that time up. And it's only but so, and you got to take a lunch break because you got to let your court reporter take a break. You got to let the deputies who are in the courtroom staffing it take a break. Hmm. Um, The lawyers, they're human. They want to. Could call their officer. So now you take that hour, that hour lunch break or five minute lunch break, mm-hmm. and now you're coming back. And the lawyers that are sitting there, they got other places they have to be. They got right. other courtrooms calling them. They have clients that are coming in. Their office is, you know, ringing them. The client that's sitting there is like looking at their watch and looking at their wallet. Mm. And not only are they paying someone, but they're not at work earning money yeah. or they're having to pay for a. A sitter or a daycare. And so it just becomes frustrating. And then what it does is it creates that pressure. And then people just start, hey, let's just get this over with. And they right. take a did they 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 they, they settle the case and they may not settle it for what they it's worth, but they settle it just to get it over with. Just to kind of I don't have to pay this lawyer another $1,500 for this hearing. And sometimes that's what you want to do. Sometimes that's what you can only afford. Right. Right? Yeah. I, mean, it's, I can see that. This is worse than sometimes the airports when they get backed up or a doctor's office when they get backed up. So you can be sitting there. You just come in there. There's no one there, but there's still people waiting in the... Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. A, I think it's a way in doing it. Um, and scheduling these things because in federal court if you go to federal court federal court is extremely efficient now their docket is not as big as state court Mm. but they still have it's still some best practices that can be used to try to get these things moving I think on a criminal side um, a lot of times court cases are kind of backed up because Motions are not filed in a certain time. Mm-hmm. Um, discovery's not turned over. New discovery is turned okay. over. And that pushes it back. Um, I've been in a lot of circuits where the judge will do a standing order uh, for all parties in a criminal case. That means the state has to turn over discovery at a certain date. Mm-hmm. Um, the defense has to file their motions at a certain date. If they're not filed at that date, then it's kind of, you you don't, be you, it. yeah, so be it. You You, okay. you didn't file it. Um, and then trial dates are made at a certain that these cases will come. Mm-hmm. And if you give people and what I've seen, if you give people those dates and you hold firm to those dates, they're going to um, they're going to do it right. because they understand these are the rules, mm-hmm. you know, um, and they're going to they're going to sort of conform to them. Now, are there times that you have to sort of step back from that because of the state may have gotten some late discovery they didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to be, you're going to have to but use those the are re- Those are reasonable Those are reasonable, exceptions, right. right. That shouldn't be the rule. It right. should be the exception. Right. shouldn't be the rule. But if you hold people to that standard, like, okay, counsel, uh, this case is arraigned. Discovery will be turned over, like, what's today? May 4th? Um, 3rd. May 3rd? Okay, <laughs> so you're arraigned on May 3rd. Right. Um, the state, you will have discovery to um, the defendant no later than May 20th. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Defense Counsel, you have to file your motions in this case by June 30th. And if you hold to that. If you hold to it, yeah. Then I they're going to be used to it. Exactly. But if you give exceptions every other time. Then they're not. Right. And, and you, Yeah. And you have to sort so of. you have to have a tough court. To yeah. I mean, you have to. I mean, and most lawyers, most lawyers. They're going to say, okay, 
Mm-hmm. They just lawyers just want consistency. Yeah, that's the that's the thing they want. They want if a judge is consistent, right? They're great with it. Whether that judge is consistently right or consistently <laughs> wrong, <laughs> they, least... they because they can then navigate it. Mm-hmm. It's like if you know the rules of the road, you right. can navigate it. It's when it becomes mercurial, when it becomes ever changing, when it you know goes from this to that. That's where they can't. Well, you have some attorneys that take advantage. And is going to want that motion to yeah. keep pushing it out where other attorneys might like, I, I have my stuff together. Mm-hmm. We need to do it now. And, you know, I can see that. I, it's Right. Know, I can see that. And, and that's the thing. And, you know, um, when I when I was a prosecutor, you know, we had some we had some tough judges in the. Uh, um, 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 Griffin Judicial Circuit. I mean, they were. They were legendary tough judges. Really? Yes. Um, quintessential hanging judge. That's that. They were just basically <laughs> like that. All gra- and, and it was great as a prosecutor coming up mm. under them because they were tough. I mean, they would shoot you down in a minute. So you had to have your stuff together. So made you a made, better attorney. Exactly. But the thing about it was it was consistent. Like you knew you couldn't go to this judge with this type of plea. Because he wasn't going to take it. Mm-hmm. So you knew the rule. You knew if you had a burglary, that judge wasn't taking anything less than three years if it was the first burglary. You knew it. The defense counsel knew it. So it was no sort of, hey, can you give me two years yeah. on this? It, it was just like you knew. Right. So and, and, and the thing is, is, is you're better able to communicate to, the, to your client mm-hmm. or to the person, hey, I've been before this judge. I kind of know how they are. They're gonna. They're not gonna stray from the law. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna stray from the facts. You know, it's not gonna be you catch them on a good day on Wednesday. They're gonna ignore what they did on Tuesday. Right. You know. No. It's like they're consistent. And I think um, the parties. That's what they want. I mean, the law has to be, you know, consistent. Yeah. You know, there, there, you know, there's a reason why we look at precedents because we want to make sure that we have that line mm-hmm. that people can understand. You know, when the law gets all crazy and you get, you know, one of the things I sort of hate about today's climate is this whole idea of forum shopping. Like, what well, forum shopping is where you go to a particular circuit or area where you know you'll get a ruling. It's done in federal courts a lot. Okay. Um, classic example is. Um, right now we have a Republican president. Mm -hmm. If you have a liberal or democratic viewpoint and you want to attack that president's policies, you'll file a suit in the ninth circuit because the ninth circuit tends to be a little more liberal. Right. Eight years ago, we had a democratic president. Mm -hmm. If you were conservative and you didn't like his policies, you would file it in the fifth circuit, Texas, Mm -hmm. because they were conservative and would more likely rule against his principle. Here's the thing. The law is the law. Why is that something that you can do? That undermines Mm. our faith in the system. Because if you can just go to one judge and get a ruling that you would get different from another judge, the same thing, the same facts, same law, it shouldn't be. It should be if it's the same facts, the same law, Mm -hmm. the same precedents, it should be the same ruling. Doesn't matter. Shouldn't matter if that judge was appointed by a Democrat or that judge was appointed by a Republican. If this is the precedent, right. 
then it should go by that. So we're talking if it's the rule of law. It's, that's where that phrase comes from, right? It's exactly. To, to be able to do that. Exactly. There's and, no interpretation. I mean, the interpretation is the case law. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have the facts are the same, we like to say on all fours. Mm-hmm. If the facts are the same, there's nothing distinguishable about it. And the Georgia Supreme Court ruled that this should be the outcome mm-hmm. based on these facts. Mm-hmm. As a trial judge, that's my ruling. Okay. My ruling shouldn't be, oh, well, you know what? I don't like the way the Georgia Supreme Court came up with that decision. I think they were kind of wacky. Yeah. So I'm just going to do my own thing. That undermines the faith in the law because then you have judges making decisions based on their own personal preference. Yeah, and I can see that ended up, you know, that type of case would end up going back to the uh, yes. to the district court again. It will go back up to, it'll go to the Georgia, mm-hmm. Georgia Court of Appeals. They'll look at it and they'll say, Judge Person, we have 150 years of precedence. Mm-hmm. There's nothing distinguishable about this case. There are no facts that are different. Right. There's nothing unique about this. There's no reason whatsoever right. why you should have made that ruling. We're kicking it back to you. Mm. Let me ask you something. The, um, you know, obviously you're running like other other candidates are running so for judgeship. Mm-hmm. So you have prosecutors, you have defenders, both sides, and some people that have done prosecution and defender. I'm the only one oh, in my race. One? I'm the only person that has been both a prosecutor and a defense attorney. In my race, I'm the only person that has represented people in family law cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only, I'm, in my race, I'm the only person that has been both a juvenile prosecutor and a juvenile um, defender. Okay. Um, I've handled civil litigations, personal injury, um, and I've been a lawyer for 15 years. Um, I've had cases that judges have literally called me to their court for me to represent that person because they felt like I'm going to do a good job for that person and it's a difficult case. And they want to make sure that it's done right so it won't come back on appeal, at least not for any kind of ineffective assistance of counsel. So um, that's pretty good. In in this race, Division Two, I'm the only one that has been both a prosecutor and a defense attorney and done civil work also. I got to believe that that sort of informs, that would inform the way you would be a judge on that bench. It it does, because I understand how important it is to get that decision right, both for the state and for the defense. Mm. Because if you get that decision right, if you do the right thing, if you make the right decision and you explain it, and that's something that we don't, that people sometimes don't do. If you explain that decision, Mr. Defendant, this is why I'm denying your motion. The case law says X. The facts say this. The case law aligns with the facts for me to rule to deny your motion. I've been in that courtroom. I've been with defendants mm-hmm. that have heard it that way. And mo- and nine times out of ten, that defendant will go, okay, I don't like his ruling, but I understand it. And they can accept it. They feel like they've been heard. They feel like they've had an adequate chance to make their argument that the judge listened and the judge took those factors into mm-hmm. play. But then the judge said, hey, it just doesn't do you, mesh out. Do you not find that the case? Um, you know, Do you not find that being the case? Do they not explain their decisions? There have been not in Gwinnett County. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, Gwinnett County judges have been 
good. But in a lot of places, they haven't. They, they haven't explained that decision. And it makes it difficult to explain to your client why that ruling is yeah. just. Because they feel like they've been treated unfairly. Yeah, I would only think it's fair if they were told why. Right. The decisions yeah. made a certain way. Exactly. I mean, I'm just, you know, as just a common man, not a lawyer, not having that background, I would just would think, I would think that that would be normal that they should do that. I mean, let's take it back to how we deal with our children. When we say to our children, because I say so, I mean, that, they, yeah, they have a hard time I'm grasping just, that. They want to know, but why? But right, why? Right, but why? Right. Same good parent, thing. The good parent never says, I, just because I say exactly. so. Exactly. Uh, and that shouldn't be what a good judge should do. A good yeah. judge should explain to the parties, this is why I'm ruling this way. And allow the parties to make their arguments. One of the things that kind of disappointed me one time. I had a colleague that was going in for a bond hearing. And I was like, what are you here for? He's like, for a bond denial hearing. I was like, wait, has anybody testified? Mm-hmm. And he just knew his bond was going to be nine. I, I think that's, I mean, now he may have had reasons why I thought mm-hmm. there was anything like that, but he didn't kind of lead me to that. He didn't say, well, Wes, because my client has a record a mile long right, right. or that. I mean, he just kind of knew he wasn't getting a bond from the judge regardless hmm. and he was kind of resigned to that fact I think that's bad um, and you know and, and another thing you know judges we get to sentence people and I know in this race there's been a lot of discussion about strong bench and hmm. holding people accountable let me here's the thing and I always tell people that this if someone hurts a child they physically abused them, sexually abused them, and they're found guilty by a jury, they're going to jail. Right. They're going to jail for a long time. Not just because I feel like they should, but because our laws mandate sentencing. If you commit child molestation mm-hmm. and you're convicted, it's a five-year minimum. The judge can't give you below that. Okay. If you commit what is called aggravated sexual battery or aggravated child sodom or aggravated child molestation, mm-hmm. that's 25 years to life. The judge can't give you less than 25. If you commit an armed robbery in this county and you're convicted the first time, it's a 10-year minimum, 20 and then life. The judge can't go below 10 years. So when people talk about, I'm going to sentence people harshly, we all are because it's the law. Right. So you're so no one's no one's you know you know that's probably because not enough people understand that. Right. And you have to educate not only are you running for the seat but you have to run and educate people why you're running for that seat. What makes a difference and why you know when someone says says that about we need to be harder tougher on crime it's the same thing in New York when we were used to hear the same stuff over and over again Republicans would say one thing Democrats would mm-hmm. say and it's like you do you have minimum years you have certain you things do. yeah you're running it's all like here, I won't here, say what it is but well, it's yeah. all like you know really <laughs> but here's the difference and I tell people yeah. if you want a judge to just automatically give sentences after sentence in jail 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 mm-hmm. Then you give it. You need to just have a robot. Yeah, I mean, well, right? could be. AI I believe driven. exactly. I believe a judge should have. They should. They should have discernment. And look, there are some people that need to go to prison for their first offense mm-hmm. because they have no remorse. They're not going to change. They're trying to game the system, mm-hmm. and they need to go to prison. But there are some people. And these are for crimes that are not mandatory minimums. Mm-hmm. But there are some people that you look, you take all the facts in, 
Because that's what you should do as a judge. Take in all the facts when you're sentencing a person. Mm-hmm. Hear everything. Mm-hmm. And then you make a decision. You you look at it and you you use your years of experience as a person. Right. You look that person in the eye and you you get a feeling. I mean, that's that I mean, it's it sounds kind of maybe I don't know, but but no, that's what I, I, you know. I think you're right. Yeah, that's I think right. you have people up there to discern. Mm-hmm. You don't have people to automatically go, bam, like assembly line justice. That doesn't work. You know, it's funny. People are, you're willing to listen. You're willing to listen. You go to church. You learn about Solomon, right? He was a judge. He was a king, but he was judging, and he made judgments. And we praise that. Mm-hmm. That they that there's someone that could do that. Yeah. Okay. That was Solomon. Maybe. Maybe you know. Maybe other us us plain common folk are not quite the, uh, Solomonish, but but that's what you. But isn't that what that's about? That is my prayer. I think it's First Kings three, where Solomon asked God to give him discernment mm-hmm. because my people, your people, are great. They're vast in number, and I am yet a child. Mm-hmm. But I need your discernment. That is my prayer. That is my passion, that that I have that discernment. And and here's the thing. I'm going to say, will I get it right all the time? It's impossible. I'm not a deity. Mm -hmm. I'm a human person. I'm an imperfect being trying to do a perfect work. And sometimes I'm going to miss it. But I'll learn from that and not miss it again. And I understand people's like, well, if you miss it, somebody may die. I mean that that you if I had a crystal ball yeah. if I had yes. a way of looking and predicting the future right I wouldn't be running for judge I'll right. be a hedge fund manager and be like Bobby Axelrod <laughs> on billions and be wealthy out of my mind yeah. but this is a, it, it is a, and what I tell people is it's it, it it it's not a perfect process but I will do everything in my power every day mm-hmm. to to make decisions that will be beneficial to Gwinnett That'll make it a safer, stronger, but also a beloved community, a community where we have respect for each other, Mm -hmm. where we have the common decency for each other and where we feel that we have a community because that's a lot of what. and, And people are like, well, how can a judge do that? Well, I think it starts off by how the tone that person sets in the court Mm -hmm. is everyone being treated with the dignity and respect that it deserves, regardless of their status, right. regardless if they're a wealthy person right. or they're a laborer, is that they're being treated with that respect and dignity that they come to the court and they know that that person sitting on the bench is not going to look at their status, but they're going to look at what's the law and the facts. And it doesn't matter who you are. You could be a billionaire mm-hmm. and it could be the janitor that works for that billionaire. But if the law and the facts are on that janitor side, doesn't matter. Does not matter. And and that's the type of judge I want to be. That, whoever comes in that courtroom, I'm going to make a decision based on those two things. I'm not going to be, make a decision on what your party affiliation is, what your race, what your creed, what your gender, what your sexual orientation is, whether you're a police officer, whether you're, you know, the guy standing on the corner. Right. It's going to, you all, everyone's going to be treated with the same dignity and respect. And those scales of justice are only going to move based on the law and the facts. And that's it. Well said. That's a lot. We went from <laughs> Solomon to, uh, 
I know this is we, we've been kind of. Uh, I mean, but it's worked been up good. a little bit there. No, I mean, I get passionate about this because you know, this is good because the court system. I mean, here's the thing. I know we have three branches of government. We have the executive and legislature. Mm-hmm. But when I tell people about the, the the judicial branch, this is the only branch of government that you see the person you elected. Mm-hmm. make the decision. You don't right. see a staff member. You don't see an assistant mayor. You don't see, you see that person you pulled that lever for. Yeah. That person is making a pronouncement on your case. That is extraordinary. So, so the question begs then, you know, it, it's the system we have, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you run in a nonpartisan race, right? You can't declare, you know, Republican, Democrat, who I was talked to about that? Uh, actually, he wasn't running for judge. He was uh, he was running for for some state seat, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to. It was a it was a special election. He didn't want to declare whether he was Republican or Democrat. And I said, after forty five minutes of talking to you, I think everyone would assume you're a Republican based on your, <laughs> the, you know what you've said. You know, so let's just be clear and honest. It's okay. <laughs> Come forward, but. You know, running for a judgeship, it's tough, I I can imagine. You get asked all sorts of questions. You have to be careful in your fundraising. You have to be careful in your campaigning. Yes. And and how how long is the term? I'm not sure. It's a four year term. So so this term would end in two thousand twenty two. Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, math is bad. so, so, yeah, for 1822. Yeah. Uh, but you, you know, you have to run again. Yes. And there's not a natural, you know, listen, and in, in, in some places, elected officials, you, I come from a place where sometimes you look where the money comes from and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you can say, well, there's a natural constituent that wants to give money to them because they're going to vote a certain way. Right. You don't do that as a judge, no. especially in a judgeship like this. Uh, where there's no constituency like that to say, uh, I'm going to dissuade him to vote a certain way. So, you know, but you still have to run for it. You right. still have to beg for the f- vote, if you will, which at the end of the show, I'm going to ask you to give a two-minute thing, why people should vote for you, okay. and, and ask where they can find that information from you. But do you find this as a better way of doing this, you know, than appointing someone to life on a judgeship? I mean, that's a difficult question for me to answer um, because I see the virtue and the vice in both. Um, the virtue in having a judge appointed is you don't have that judge going out and seeking money and raising money and going out and actually you know, doing what we're doing, campaigning. Uh, that judge can make a decision without having to worry about, okay, is somebody going to run against me in four years because they don't like my decision? Right. So it makes it, you know, they don't have to worry about certain political considerations, which they shouldn't anyway. Mm-hmm. But the idea of appointing judges is you get that. The, the vice in that is you get someone who's not accountable. So they can get up there and be tyrannical. Right. They can, they can, you know, just, yeah. you know, be horrible. And you can't remove them but for impeachment, which is kind of a difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the benefits of having judge run is they're accountable. Mm-hmm. The bad part is you have judges out there campaigning, raising money, and it right. gives the appearance that that judge can be um, brought. And that judge has to worry about making decisions because if I anger a certain political class, mm-hmm. am I going to face, um, you know, an opponent? Right. So it, it, it's one of those, you know, um, the, 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 the thing that I just sort of rest on is I'm just going to be the best judge I can. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to make decisions based on 
the law and the facts. And if someone has a problem with it, um, they'll run and I'll explain to the voters, well, this is why I made a decision. Just like I explained to the parties and, you know, this law, the, you know, this law and these facts mm-hmm. calls for this decision, you know, and explain to them the case law and everything else. So why I made that decision that, you know, I didn't make it because I just woke up and, you know, right. I didn't have my Wheaties that morning yeah. and I just decided, oh, I'm just going to do this. Right. But, you know, that I thought carefully and I thought long about it, um, that I just didn't give a knee jerk reaction. One of the things and you don't know me, but one of the things that people who do know me is I'm one of those people that I like to talk things through. I don't like to come to a rash decision. I could, I'm could, i decisive, but I don't like making a rash decision. I really like to weigh and think about and, okay, and then come to a decision um, because I want to look at everything. Um, I was having, a, I think it may have been the um, the mayor of Peachtree City where they had the United Peachtree uh, Forum. Mm-hmm. And he asked me about the Starbucks decision because I think I told him I had managed the Starbucks back in my days before. Did I, you really? I did. Um, and I said, well, I don't know what happened prior to them coming into the store. Hmm. And having been in that position, having been a manager of the store, sometimes you have a situation where something is crazy and the next person you get, you're reactive. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether, and I don't think what that young lady did was right, but I don't have all the evidence on why she did that. You know, did she have a problem person two minutes before mm-hmm. those two gentlemen came in the store and she just instantly reacted and was just like, okay, I'm going to call the police yeah. without factoring in, well, they're not doing the same things. They're, they're obviously, you know, they say they're here for somebody and they're going to order Without sort of, and that's the type of thing I don't want to do as a judge. I don't want to let what happened at one case influence my decision on this case when the two are different. For sure. Um, So I like to talk things out. I like to um, sit down and understand all sides of the argument, and then I come to a conclusion. Sounds like what a judge should do. I think so. I mean, I think so. I think that that, that should be. And then explain it. I mean, because, and I keep going back to, I know people going like, why do you keep saying that? Why do you keep saying that? Because I think it's important for you to know why the decision maker made that decision. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, why would you, you would want to know a decision on almost anything in your life, right? I mean, so. Exactly. Why not that? And especially since you're talking to the person that the people elected is that leader and they have that you know that's that's our mm-hmm. that's our duty that's our obligation yeah. you know that's what we're there for i mean um you know the whole idea like we had referenced solomon but you know i i, I you know i'm thinking about i think it's exodus where moses's um father-in-law kind of said well what are you doing you you sitting up here doing all these things and he was like well you know the people i'm their leader i have to make decisions and he was like well you can delegate that and and and, and it sort of gave it sort mm-hmm. of the idea to me is that, you know, people want their leaders to make a decision. They want to know why, and they're fine with it as long as they can understand it. But they just don't feel like it's just made up or just, you know. You know, the the, the interesting part to me is that we elect politicians that in the last two, three, four years, you know, good or bad, 
for for a long time now. They have none of them can seem to make a decision. So we have Congress that can't decide on things. And so I'm going to make a political statement, maybe. But okay, you know, and this is why <laughs> you're not saying anything, but this is why we elected Trump, right? Because people wanted to shake things up, right? I don't say we because I didn't vote for Trump, <laughs> but people. I can understand why people voted for Trump. I can understand the the idea is that we want our pol. We're electing people. We want decisions to be made, and a judge has to make a decision every day. A regular politician, a, a senator, a congressman, a state senator, they're not making those decisions every day. And it's always couched in a different way, too. And when you make a bill, even though people say, well, they voted for a bill, you know, there's Congress, there's the House, there's the Senate, there's a conference committee, there's uh, amendments that are added later, there's a president that has to sign, it's a whole different quagmire. But a judge can't be distilled that way, right? Judge is making a decision, yay or nay, yes, on something every day. And I think, and I think, um, I think the whole here's what saddens me about the whole political process. Without me saying one way or another mm-hmm. on anything, it's the lack of inspiration. Mm. It's the lack of inspiring yeah. us to be better. Yes. Inspiring us to come together. Mm-hmm. Inspiring us to make a difference. That's the thing that, you know, and, and that's what, it, yeah. in running for this office, I I don't talk about, well, I lock people up. I, I want to talk about how I can make it better. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to fear you into voting for me. I want you to, I want to inspire you to vote for me. I want you to vote for me because you believe I'm going to make a difference. And if that difference means locking someone up, then I will do that. If that difference meaning means to create a uh, accountability court to give a person a second chance to get their lives in order, mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. I mean, I want to inspire people to believe again in the greatness of who we are, because I think that's lost. That's lost. A lot of this sort of what we're into is like is lost of how fantastic this country is. Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, I had an opportunity to travel. And when I got outside of the United States, yeah, it was some, you know, I enjoyed the culture and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it was homogeneous. Everyone looked the same. Yeah. Everyone. Depends but in this you country, go, you know, even in this county. You have a mixture of all different cultures, religions, political uh, viewpoints, and all that, and it works. Mm -hmm. As much as we have these little squabbles, Mm -hmm. it works. Most diverse county in the state. Exactly. And it's so I want to inspire people. I want people to vote for me because they're inspired to vote for me, not because they're fearful of what will happen, but they're inspired that this guy. Mm-hmm. is going to get up there and do what he says. He's going to rule based on the law and the facts, but he's going to do it in a way that makes us better. Not just safer, but better. Well, better can be safer. Exactly. Right? People don't understand that. You could exactly. put people in jail all day long, but at some point they have to come out. And they have to be better for society when they come out. So if you're, if you could... Do it in a better way, almost in a fatherly way. 
is the way I look at it. Yeah. Then then that person may become a better person when they come out. If you you know, I mean, if you have to put them in, at least understanding why you're there. Listen, some, there are always people that could take advantage of a system. Yeah. You know, I don't think that the majority of people that that are like that in the, in the criminal system. My daughter just uh, did a uh, jail project, mm. and she went with her class, and they did this a whole semester. They were low-risk uh, prisoners in uh, Rome, Georgia, and um, they it was for language class. So they, did, they read the same books. They mm-hmm. discussed the books. And she said to me, Dad, you know, when I went in there, I was kind of fearful. I didn't know what to expect. But as she went through the semester and got to know these people, she realized these are really... Some of these people are really intelligent. They speak well. Some of them are wise and mm-hmm. give and sound like, at least sound like they have some wisdom there. So they're not all, you know, the boogeyman. They're not all bad people. Eventually they have to come out and be part of productive society. So having someone that can see that might make sense then. I, I mean, and I hope, and that's what I, that's my hope and that's, that's what I want to do. I mean, I've sat in holding cells with, young men that have been accused of doing some very bad things. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, in that room at that moment, mm-hmm. they're they're almost like little kids. Mm-hmm. Because and and it, a lot of times is they finally have someone who's talking to them. And I'm not telling them yeah, you did a good thing. I'm telling them you did an absolutely horrific thing. Mm-hmm. And you have to take responsibility for it. A lot of times people don't get that. People always, when they when they look at criminal defense attorneys, they think that, oh, you're getting people off. A lot of times we're helping people. We're, you know, we're, it's almost priestly in a way. Mm-hmm. We're helping people come to grips with the decisions that they made and being able to, to accept the consequences of it. That's a, that's a yeah. large part of my job sometimes because I have to sit down and I have to tell them, look, I can try this case a hundred times. And I win it once because the evidence is I'm not a fool. I'm not sitting there telling them, mm-hmm. oh, this evidence is not. I'm telling, I'm sitting up there because part of my job is to be a counsel, is to be a counselor and is to be an advocate. When I'm in the court, I'm advocating for them. When I'm outside of the court, I'm counseling. I'm saying, look, I understand you don't want to go to jail one minute, mm-hmm. let alone 10 years. But you got to face the facts. Right. You got to face reality. And it's helping them, it's talking with them, it's explaining to them the law, is explaining to them the facts and how that judge is going to rule because he he or she can't rule and, and the way you want them to because the law and the facts don't support it. Maybe they don't even understand that sometimes. A lot of times they don't. And you're walking them through it. Yeah. And you're getting them to now understand the reality of their of their actions. Yeah. And then you get them to accept the consequence of it. And you do it lovingly. You, I mean, you you have mm-hmm. to. And a lot of clients who will accept responsibility, they will say to you, thank you. You know, I know I got to do a considerable amount of time in jail, mm-hmm. but I appreciate you helping me come to grips with it. And, 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 and that's, you know, that's what I do every day. You know, I get in court, I fight like heck for my client. When I was a prosecutor, mm-hmm. I got in there and I fought like heck for the state. Um, but a lot of times it's explaining to people, hey, this is going to be the outcome. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, it, and it's doing what I want to do as a judge 
just from a sense, like you know, this is the this is the law. These are the facts, and this is the mm-hmm. outcome. It's it's hard to get around it, and I I'm not going to get around it. So let's do this. We're we've been through an hour. Actually. Wow, that's <laughs> talking. So, right? so uh, we've discussed quite a bit. We've gone through quite a bit of uh, your background, the way you believe in certain things. I almost feel like I'm I'm with a preacher in a way, uh, <laughs> especially towards the end here. We we're really getting into it a little bit, Solomon and all that. Um, but give give you a two minute why they need to vote for you. And, and tell them where they can find more information. Okay. Uh, first of all, thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak to sure. your viewers. Um, my tagline or what I've said is I believe that I'm a servant uh, that you can trust. And what I want to do is serve the people of Gwinnett County. I want to serve them by making the justice system more efficient, um, bringing in technology to make uh, the wait times on cases less uh, but I also want to do something different in terms of sentencing, not for the truly, um, I'm going to use the term deplorable, those people who have hurt and harmed our citizens, committed murder, armed robbery, and things of that nature. They have to be separated from society. But I'm talking about that young man or that young woman that may have committed a shoplifting, may have committed a burglary, um, may have uh, committed a small-time drug sale, that we can get them in a different space, that we can get them in a program, an accountability court that can teach them good values, that can teach them um, skills that they had not gotten uh, prior to that. And to walk them through an accountability court where they will have to come to the court and give a, uh, an account of what they've done that week. They've gone through counseling. They tested negative on drugs. They've, um, they're going to their job training. And as they walk through that step, phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, they will graduate. And studies have shown that people who have completed accountability court are 60% less likely to reoffend. That means that that person will no longer be in the criminal justice system, but they'll be a productive valued member of society and that they will be making Gwinnett better. I believe that that will not only keep us safer, but it will make us better, that it will make us more of a beloved community. So if you believe in this vision, you can visit my website at www.electwest2018.com. That's my website. You can see information. You can get involved in the campaign. You can make a a donation uh, because, unfortunately, we we have to buy ads and things of that nature. Um, You could go canvassing with me. Or if you have a question, you can even ask. Um, But uh, please vote. Early voting has started. Um, And... The election will be May 22nd, and I hope I have your support because I believe I'm the only candidate that has experience on both sides. Um, I've seen it from the state side. I've seen it from the defense side, and I understand the importance of having a judge that will make a decision based on the facts of the case and the law and that will judge with a discerning heart. So I appreciate your support. Thank you. Thank you, Wesley. I appreciate you uh, coming tonight and sharing information and being with me for an hour and discussing this we're going to close out the uh, podcast so i just want to tell people that um our uh our sponsor has been uh, prototype prime uh they're an incubator here in peachtree corners uh that deals with high tech um, and hardware technology they have about 14 companies i think right now little seedlings ready to grow up 
And uh, they're using the facilities to be able to, uh, 12,000 square feet of facility to be able to have open space, open work, uh, 3D printers, a podcast studio that I use also during the day on uh, four or five times a month uh, that they lend to us to do some of the shows. So a great place. It's um, just more stuff is coming out of there. They're actually going to be part of this whole autonomous vehicle testing program that's going to be going on. And we'll be having them on as well to be able to discuss a little bit of that, of what's, what that means to Technology Park, to Peachtree Corners and all that. Our upcoming guests for coming over the next uh, few weeks is, uh, so next week we're going to be interviewing uh, Tracy Mason, um, also running for Gwinnett County Superior Court. That's on the 10th. Uh, the Ed Hour with Alan Kaplan, my co-host, will be discussing several um, subjects within the education uh, topic. That's our monthly education podcast. And we're coming up with some special uh, things that we want to talk about. Last show, which you can find online at PeachtreeCornersLife.com, we spoke about safety in the schools. Are, are our kids really safe? Um, we'll also be having Steve Riley on the 17th that evening. He's running for... Uh, congressional nomination of the Democratic Party for uh, District 7. He's a neighbor of mine. We're going to have him over. We're going to discuss a little bit about politics and talk some issues. Uh, and then uh, Brian Johnson, the city manager, will be with me for prime lunchtime at noon on the 24th. If you have questions you want to ask him, feel free to follow us. We'll be Facebook Live. Put your questions in the comments uh, or I'll have a text message that you can text questions to during that hour. So there's a lot of things going on. I hope you um, like our Facebook page. If you're listening to this podcast and haven't done that yet, uh, you get notifications of Facebook Live. Feel free to go to Peace Recorders Life. We cover a lot of the city issues. I have a writer that uh, covers City Hall and um, so a lot of things going on there. So I do want to thank again, Wesley. Thank you. For, no, thank, thank you. you. I enjoyed and, it. But this is always a cool thing to do. And we'll Thanks for listening to Peachtree Corners Live with Rico and Rita. Check out our Facebook page. Download the Spreaker Radio app for Apple, Android, and Window devices. And subscribe to our weekly newsletter at peachtreecornerslive.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.